All right, have a seat if you would. If you got a Bible, you can go to Matthew chapter 5. Let me welcome you again. Let me welcome everybody that is with us online. And uh, just kind of remind you where we are, where we're going. Uh, we're finishing up uh, this True Justice series today. We're going to talk about justice and change. Uh, next Sunday is Youth Sunday. Excited about that. Our teenagers are going to be leading. And uh, Jackson Holt is actually going to be preaching. And uh, I heard one of his messages that he gave at Youth this summer. And you'll, you'll want to hear this. 17-year-olds aren't supposed to preach like this. <laughs> might have been a little jealous. I don't know. It's definitely way better than I was when I first started. But uh, <laughs> Were you born when I first started, Jacob? I mean, come on. Hopefully all those tapes have been burned and destroyed somewhere. And kids, if you don't know what a tape is, ask your parents later and they'll explain it to you. Um, not an eight track. I'm not quite that old, but a cassette. Um, although I was, we did have some eight tracks when I was uh, growing up. So I am that old. Uh, where, where was I going? See, Jacob, you messed me up. <laughs> Remember, I'm 50 now. It's hard to stay on track and stay focused. So the Sunday after that, Steve Payson is going to be with us. And uh, that day, we're going to do one service. We're going to do it outdoors, uh, weather permitting. It's going to be at 1030. Um, you know, Steve was with us last fall. And I think it was, you know, the best responded to thing that we've ever done with an evangelist. We want to have him back. So I would encourage you to be praying and, uh, you know, to invite people to come with you that day. And we hope it being outside makes it a little more comfortable to invite people. And, and then the Sunday after that, Lord willing, and I know this is what you've all been waiting for. We're going to get back into the book of Ephesians. Uh, <laughs> thanks for humoring me. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, we're going to get back into Ephesians, um, you know, when we uh, kind of, when the world went crazy. Uh, we, we just finished up chapter five, the marriage section. We actually did uh, the first part of chapter six last year on Mother and Father's Day. So we're going to pick up at, at verse five and uh, do verses five through nine, then October and November, something like that. Uh, hopefully, if you can make any plans for anything right now, we're going to do the, the spiritual warfare se uh, section of Ephesians to finish that up. So, but uh, today, we're going to talk about uh, justice and, and, and change. And uh, I want to start with, with this story. It's taken, and, and some of this I'm just reading from an article, a blog post by a pastor named uh, Wade Burleson. But, uh, you know, something... Uh, well, you know, usually when it comes to history, people either love it or hate it. Like in school, some of you thought history was really cool. <laughs> some of you, <laughs> Rusty, <laughs> thought it was like the most boring thing ever, uh, right? Uh, but um, something that a lot of Americans, uh, whatever you think about history, seem to be fascinated with uh, is the Titanic. And... Um, there's a, a man who, who died on the Titanic by the name of W.T. Sneed, who was really probably uh, one of the more famous people who was on the Titanic. He's kind of been lost to us, uh, and somebody wrote a biography about him in 1912. But uh, th this pastor, Way Burleson, writes this. He says, there is a child sex trafficking pandemic taking place in the United States in 2020. Pedophilia and blatant disregard for the lives of children infect the back rooms of Congress, the boardrooms of Wall Street, and the back alleys of small town uh, America. 
to grasp the moral courage it takes to shut down child sex trafficking and the evil practice of abortion in our country, one needs to look no further than the most famous man to die during the sinking of the RMS Titanic. His name was William Thomas Stead. His friends called him W.T. Stead. And, um, you know, if, if you don't think that this is a huge issue, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you saw this or not. It's kind of got lost in the shuffle, I think, of the Republican National Convention and what happened in Kenosha. But in Georgia, federal agents recovered 39 abducted and trafficked kids uh, during uh, that week. And um, basically what W.T. Uh, Stead had done is he was basically kind of like the first investigative journalist. He was, um, he was a journalist in, in, in Great Britain, and uh, in, in the foreword of his biography, it says this. It says, quote, imprisoned for abducting a child, later acquitted, in the course of exposing the vicious sex trade that existed in Victorian London, Stead realized, as few before him had, that governments are powerless to resist the coordinated voice of the public when harnessed by a newspaper or social media today to help put an end to such evils. Um, he became a newspaper editor at 22. And then the day before his 26th birthday, he wrote this in his journal. Now, uh, his father was a pastor. Uh, he was very spiritual, well-versed in the Bible. And, and he wrote this. Quote, the great event have this, have this year has been, through reading Victor Hugo's The Man Who Laughs, a sense of my prophethood returned. I felt once more the sacredness of the power in my hands to be used on behalf of the poor, the outcast, and the oppressed. It was a gift of renewed faith. I clearly and decidedly grasped the idea that everything is given to one to be employed on behalf of those who have nothing did you hear that? That everything is given to one to be employed on behalf of those who have nothing. And that only by the patient, laborious, unselfish labor of the good can the bad be ex extinguished. And that my mission was to labor unceasingly by all methods and in every season to help the social regeneration of the people of the world. And at that point, he committed the rest of his life to work for the good of those who had uh, nothing. And so in 1885, and I won't go into a lot of detail here because it's fairly graphic, but in 1885, he shocked the world with a series of articles he wrote on the seamy practice of child prostitution in, in London, England. And then in, 19, in 1894, he traveled to Chicago to attend the World's Fair, and um, he, he wrote uh, something called, If Christ Came to Chicago, a plea for the union of all who love in the service of all who suffer uh, about, you know, just all of the seamy behavior that was going on uh, around uh, the world's fair there. And he said that every article that he wrote had the goal of reforming a society held hostage, quote, by the powers of darkness, in high places, Ephesians 6, 12. And then Burleson says this. He says, for 40 years, W.T. Stead laboriously worked through his writings to bring justice, to practice mercy, and to live humbly in the corridors of power. 
W.T. Stead made a, good, a difference for good in the world of child sex trafficking in his day. We need more men and women of courage, people like W.T. Stead in 2020. We need more men and women of courage, people like W.T. Stead in 1920. I'm sorry, in 2020. Uh, and um, really, that's the idea of the message. You know, we, we've talked about justice from different angles. I, I hope we have some understanding of, you know, what biblical justice is. Uh, I mean, I hope we have a conviction that as the people of God, that we're to live just lives, that we're to uh, do justly, walk humbly, uh, to, to show mercy, and that that's just part of worshiping God. I hope we see that racism is a sin. I hope we see that you know, government is here for a purpose of you know, punishing evildoers, bring good to a society. I, I hope uh, you know, we understand some of the difference between you know, biblical justice and social justice. And I hope uh, that we learned last week some of the things to do and not to do if we're going to truly have a just society. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, we need to move from conviction to action. In, in fact, if we have conviction, conviction actually produces action. And, and a lot of this series has been about building conviction within us but we do what we believe. If something's a conviction, it's going to change the way uh, we live our lives. Uh, here's a simple biblical example. Remember Daniel chapter one, when he said, I can't eat uh, the king's delicacies. And, uh, you know, give, me, give us vegetables, give us water, and, and, and that kind of thing. And not that that says you have to be a vegetarian. Some of you are getting nervous about your bacon. Just hang on. This had to do with, uh, you know, just the cultural situation there where he was in Babylon and, you know, those kind of things. But uh, Daniel's conviction produced action. And so this is the, the big idea that I want to share with us today as we look at a passage that's really the words of Jesus. That is, if we want change, we have to be the change. At the end of the day in anything, if we want change, we have to be the change. And, and so let's look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, uh, starting in, in, in verse 13. And Jacob, the back screen's not on. It says here, you are the salt of the earth. And, and, and I want you to notice something as we start out here. He doesn't say to, to go be the salt of the earth. To, to, he doesn't say to go act salty. He, he says, uh, you are the salt of the earth. Okay? So it, it's a statement of identity. He says, but if the salt loses its flavor... How shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. And once again, it's a statement of identity, right? He's not saying go, you know, be bright, go shine, uh, in, in this sentence anyway. He's saying you are the light of the world. And, you know, in the context here, he's speaking to his disciples. This comes right after uh, the Beatitudes. Uh, and, and so he's saying, if you're my disciple, 
This is who you are. I mean, ultimately, we know biblically that Jesus is the light of the world. But if we're a Christian and Christ is in us, that means his light is in us in, in, in a sense. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Um, it, you know, if, if you, you can put a light up on a hill and it's going to, in, in a dark night, it's going to shine for great distances around it. He says, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. In other words, don't hide your light. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in, in heaven. Now, as we look at what Jesus is saying here, uh, I've kind of come to a little different understanding of this passage than what I've taught in, in the past. I, I taught through the Sermon on the Mount at True Life about, I don't know, eight, eight nine years ago, something like that. And uh, then I, I looked at, at, at salt and light as, as saying two different things. And I'm not saying there's not some nuances there. But uh, I see it a little differently now, and this is how I'm going to present it today. I think Jesus is making the same point with two different analogies here. Yeah, I, I don't think salt and light are, are two different things. I, 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 they're two different things, but I don't think there's two different points here. I think he's saying the same thing in, in two different ways. And it wasn't uncommon for Jesus to teach this way. You know, Luke chapter 15, it has what we often call the parable of the prodigal son in there. Jesus told three stories to make one point. He said God is, uh, the ultimate point of it is God is coming after lost people, but he did it by talking about a coin and uh, by talking about uh, a sheep and by talking about uh, a son. And, you know, just kind of the song Reckless Love, you know, he's chasing after us. He's looking uh, for us. But what I'm saying is he, he told three stories to make one point. I think he's given two analogies to make one point here. And so what's the point of this? What's Jesus saying to us? Well, I want to give you three statements today that, you know, I think amplify the idea of be the change. First of all, he's saying here to be changed by him, uh, that, that's the foundational idea here is that we have to be changed by Jesus. In other words, when we meet Jesus, we become the salt of the earth. Uh, we become the light of the world. It, it, it's about who we are. It's about who Jesus makes us to be. But then it's about, and this is what we'll get into, about actually how we live that out. So what we're told to do here, like in verse 16, flows out of who we are. Um, activity is designed to flow out of identity. Uh, we should work to change the world because we have been accepted and changed by Jesus. We don't work to change the world to get accepted by him. Do you see the difference? That's the difference in, in, in religion and, and, and the gospel. Uh, dead works are works that we do to try to earn favor with God. Good works that we do are works that flow out of a heart that's been changed by Jesus. It's what Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tells us. I mean, think about that. Uh, For by grace you've been saved through faith. 
That not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we're saved by grace through faith, but then verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has before ordained that we walk in. Uh, the, the, the root of our salvation is the grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. The fruit of our salvation is good works that comes from a life transformed by Jesus. So he says you are the salt of the earth. You are uh, the, the light of the world. And so uh, think about it this way. An, an anonymous Hasidic rabbi on his deathbed said this. He said, when I was young, I set out to change the world. When I was a little older, I perceived that this was too ambitious, so I set out to change my state. This too, I realized as I grew older, was too ambitious, so I set out to change my town. When I realized I could not even do this, I tried to change my family. Now, as an old man, I know that I should have started out by changing myself. If I had started with myself, maybe then I would have succeeded in changing my family, the town, or even the state. Who knows? Maybe even the world. I was having a conversation uh, with a young man this week, and I think a lot, like a lot of young people right now, there's a lot of cynicism just about the world and its future. But he said something that's wise and true when he said at the end of the day, all we can really control is ourselves and that we can you know, be responsible for ourselves and we can do the right thing. And that really is where it starts when we're talking about changing the world. But you know, the, the, we're not talking about ultimately changing ourselves though. We're talking about Jesus changing us. That's the idea of this passage. You are the salt of the earth. You are the, the light of the world. Uh, look at one more scripture before we move on. John chapter three. Uh, you know, this is the famous story of the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And it says there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And um, I think to really understand this passage, you gotta understand that verse, um, you know, he was a Pharisee, which meant he was exceedingly religious. Uh, he had memorized, uh, you know, a good chunk of the Old Testament. Uh, he says he was a ruler of the Jews, which meant he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which would have probably meant he was older, he was respected, he was possibly wealthy, uh, he, had a, he had a lot of power, uh, you know, he sought to keep the law. I mean, he, he's kind of the whole package. He, he had everything uh, going for him, and, you know, he would have been moral, all these kind of things, all kinds of good works, and, and, and everything along this line. And it, and it says here in verse 2 that he came to Jesus and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so, I mean, you know, if, if this were me and, and this man who had all these things going for him says, you're a teacher that's come from God and you're doing miracles and I recognize that God is working through you, uh, you know, I've probably been like, well, well thank you. I mean, that means so much coming from you and, uh, you know, you'd be honored and probably honor him. But that's not how Jesus responded to him. Jesus has said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, Jesus didn't even bother with a thank you. He wasn't even like, well, you know, that's nice that you say all these things, Nicodemus, but you need to be born again. 
But what he's saying here is that we can have all of these things going for us. We can be, you know, spiritual and moral and successful and all these other things. But what we need is to be born again. We need to be regenerated. We need to be forgiven. We need a new heart. We need the Spirit of God in us. We need to be changed from the inside out. And if that was true of Nicodemus, I guarantee you that it's true of all of us. None of us would have lived up to him and his level uh, spiritually. Jesus said, you must be born again. So where everything starts spiritually is being changed by Jesus. But then uh, there's a second truth that, that Jesus gives in these verses that builds off of that. And, I, and this is probably even the, the key idea here is then to live like we've been changed. Be changed by Jesus and then live like we've been changed. In other words, what he's saying is don't live like polluted salt or hidden light. Don't live like polluted salt or hidden light. You are the salt of, uh, of the earth if you're in Christ. You are the light of the world, but don't hide your light. Don't let your salt be polluted by the things of uh, the world. So let's look at these analogies that he gives. Now, you know, a, a lot of people when they teach about salt, and I've done this before, you know, talk about different functions of salt, and I'm not saying that doesn't apply, you can talk about salt being a preservative. Uh, you, you can talk about, you know, just different things that salt does. But I guess something that hit me as I was studying this past week and just kind of thinking with that, notice specifically how it says it's being used here. It says, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? And, and so, and speaking of salt here being used as seasoning or flavoring. And there's, there's actually a play on words here uh, where uh, it's, it's connected with the word foolish, the word that we get our English word moron from. It's saying, don't be made dull. Uh, don't cause something to lose uh, its taste or the purpose for which it, it, it exists. And it says, if that happens, then it's just useless. You know, we can be useless as Christians sometimes. So, you know, when you think of flavoring, when you think of salt, now, you know, for me, I'm not a salt person. Sweets are my temptation. I don't like real salty food. Um, and, but there are certain things, like if somebody cooks mashed potatoes without putting any salt in them, that's just not good, right? Uh, so you got you to gotta put some salt in there. It flavors it. It, it, it seasons it. But uh, something that, that, that's interesting, and, and I think this helps us understand the analogy, there's a New Testament scholar named Craig Keener who says this. He says, various scholars have emphasized different uses of salt in antiquity, such as a preservative or an agent regularly added to manure. Never researched that one. You can check it out if you want to. Uh, but the use of salt here is as a flavoring agent. If salt has become tasteless, it, you know, it's, what he's, it's what it says. It says, although, although the salt recovered from impure salt substances taken from the Dead Sea could dissolve, leaving only the impurities behind, the point here is closer to that expressed by a rabbi at the end of the first century. 
When asked how one could make saltless salt salty again, he replied that one should salt it with the afterbirth of a mule. That's a weird answer, right? But he's making a point. He says, being sterile, mules have no afterbirth. And he was saying that those who ask a stupid question receive a stupid answer. Real salt does not lose its saltiness, but if it did, what would you do to restore its salty flavor? Salt it? Unsalty salt was worthless. Now, that ought to be convicting to us. John MacArthur says about this, he says, if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Salt both preserves food and enhances its flavor. Pure salt cannot lose effectiveness, but the salt that is common in the Dead Sea area is contaminated with a gypsum and other minerals and may have a flat taste or be ineffective as a preservative. Such mineral salts were useful for little more than keeping footpaths free of vegetation. And so that's probably behind what, what Jesus was saying there. So, so the idea is that we are the salt of the earth. We can't uh, not be salt, but we can get other things so mixed in with us. We can have so much sin in our lives. We can get so mixed up with the things uh, of the world that we've become like unsalty salt because we're so much like everybody else instead of being distinct from the world because we're not actually living like a Christian. And at that point, we're useless to the kingdom of God, and we're useless to changing the world. We're useless to other people. Now, think about the light analogy. He says, you are the light of the world. But then he says in verse 15, where they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So, if we're not letting our light shine by doing good works, if, if Christ is not being reflected through us, it's like we're covering up our light. And even though we're the light of the world, people around us are still going to be in darkness because our light isn't shining. Do you understand? Jesus saved you for you to shine. He, he didn't save you for you to go hide somewhere while the rest of the world stays in darkness. He, he saved us to make a difference in the world. You know, church isn't supposed to be a bomb shelter where we're to run and hide from all the bad things going on around us. So if we are the salt of the earth, are we salty? Or has our salt been diluted by sin and the things of, of the world? If, if we're the, the light of the world, is our light hidden or our good works shining before men so that they can glorify our Father in heaven? Let me read something that's known, it's something, a letter that goes back to the second century A.D., um, and, and it asks ask and answers the question, what is a Christian? This early writer said this, Christians are not differentiated from other people by country, language, or customs, you see. They do not live in cities of their own or speak some strange dialect. They live in both Greek and foreign cities wherever chance has put them. They follow local customs in clothing, food, and other aspects of life. But at the same time, they demonstrate 
to us the unusual form of their own citizenship. See, what he's saying is what Jesus had said were to be in the world, but not of the world. He goes on to say, they live in their own native lands, but as aliens. Every foreign country is to them as their native country, and every native land as a foreign country. They marry and have children just like everyone else, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They offer a shared table, but not a shared bed. They are passing their days on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey the appointed laws and go beyond the laws in their own lives. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are put to death and gain life. They are poor and yet make many rich. They are dishonored and yet gain glory through dishonor. Their names are blackened and yet they are cleared. They are mocked and blessed in return. They are treated outrageously and behave respectfully to others. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if being given new life. They are attacked by Jews as aliens and and are persecuted by Greeks. Yet those who hate them cannot give any reason for their hostility. How was the early church able to change the known world at that time? It was because they had been changed by Jesus and they lived like they had been changed by Jesus. And a lot of people didn't like it and a lot of people persecuted them, but a lot of people were drawn to Christ through their lives and through their witness because their salt was salty and their light was shining for all men to see. And it was clear and they, Uh, were clear. They weren't on the fence. Uh, They were open and they were bold and and, and they were being sanctified and they were growing in in their faith and they were like Jesus. And because their lives and witness were so clear, the gospel was clear to people. And so people could hate the gospel and hate them or they could be saved, but it was hard for them to stay in the middle. Our problem today is we're too much in the middle We're too much like the world around us. There's not enough of a distinction there. And so if we want to change the world, it happens as we're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, as as we're repenting of sin, as we're spending time with God, as we're praying and in his word and, and, and seeking to obey and loving God and loving our neighbor. And as God then, as Christ is living through us and people can see that, that's how we're gonna make a difference in the world. It starts within us, but the idea here is it's to flow out of us. Salt has to get poured into food. Light has to shine in the darkness. So I think certainly the implication of this passage is number three, that we are to be God's change agents in the world. We are to be God's change agents in the world. Why else did he leave us here? Why why else did he leave us here? You know, why didn't he just take us on to heaven? It's because we're here to be a part of his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're here to make a difference in the world. How do we do this? We do this, I think we've seen here, through people seeing our changed lives. We do this through good works done with the motive of the glory of God. 
Not good works to try to earn salvation. Good works because we've been saved, because Christ is in us, because we want to say thank you to God who's been so good. We want people to see him and know him and glorify him. It's about him and not us, and we're not going around talking about ourselves and bragging about ourselves, and we don't need attention for what we've done, but we want Jesus to be made known. You know, I think about examples of how Christians have done this. You know, I think about William Wilberforce who dedicated his life and God used him to see the slave trade abolished in, in, in Great Britain. You know, I think about things that are happening today. There's a WNBA player by the name of Maya Moore who's a, who's a Christian. And out of her Christian conviction, she has taken a sabbatical from playing basketball to work for, and it's, it's happened, the, 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 the release of a young man from prison who was falsely convicted for something when he was a teenager and given a 50-year prison sentence. And, and she made the sacrifice of putting her basketball career on hold to see this young African-American man released from prison. You know, as we see things that are going on, uh, you know, in Kenosha, and we saw the rioting and that kind of thing there, uh, you don't see things like uh, not so much reported in the mainstream media, but a Christian journalist reported and showed pictures of like 300 people from various denominations uh, gathering together and praying together in Kenosha. Uh, you know, in, in, in Minneapolis, something that's not real well known, but uh, read an article recently. You know, a lot of times megachurch pastors get uh, a bad rap, and sometimes they bring it on themselves. But, you know, John Piper, uh, when he was a pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church there in Minneapolis, moved into a rundown neighborhood and encouraged some of his people to do that. And a lot of people from their church uh, have, have done that. In the middle of everything that's been going on there, uh, there's been dozens of if not hundreds of members of Bethlehem Baptist Church in one of these neighborhoods. They're quietly making a difference. And they didn't come in for some kind of social media stunt while something is going on uh, in, in, in our country. They've been there quietly being salt and light for decades, being used by God to make a difference. It happens through interacting with people in the world. I say church is not a bomb shelter. We're not called to run and, and, and hide. And so you say, what's this supposed to look like? Well, I, I want to give you three kind of phrases. And, um, and, and then I want to give you some ways to apply this and, and we'll be done. But, but I want to give you three f- uh, phrases that if you're a Christian, you need to know these. And, and, and these are three phrases that should order and guide our lives. It's the cultural mandate, the great commission, and the great commandment. The cultural mandate, the great uh, commandment, and the great commission. So you say, what's the, the cultural mandate? Well, it's in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What's the cultural mandate? It's the idea that God put men and women here uh, to build society, to build culture as image bearers of God, to, to build societies that we'd honor him. We're to be fruitful and multiply, we're to fill the earth, then we're to subdue it, we're to have dominion over it, uh, we're to exercise this delegated authority that God has given us to build and shape the world into what he wants it to be. So in a sense then, we as Christians need to see that we have a mandate, we as the church need to see that part of the reason we're here is simply for human flourishing. Let me give you an example of this in Jeremiah chapter 29. And um, uh, we're, we're only going to look at a little section of this here. But this is when, because of their rebellion, God had decreed that his people in Israel had, had decreed the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Now, a lot of you know Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm not going to quote it. It's maybe the most taken out of context verse in the Bible. If it's not, it's definitely in about the top five. Uh, you can look it up and know most of the time you hear it quoted or see it on a mug or on a t-shirt that it's taken out of context, okay? But uh, verses four through seven speak to this issue of the cultural mandate. And, um, and, and I think they speak to us because, and I'm just using this as an analogy. The United States of America is way more like Babylon than it is Jerusalem. We're not in Jerusalem anymore. We live in Babylon, figuratively speaking, religiously, culturally, morally. And so he says this, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what you do while you're in Babylon. He says, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek, listen to this, and seek the, the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it for in its peace you will have peace even if we're in Babylon we're here for the good of our city we're here for human flourishing we're here to make a positive difference let me read this to you because I think it amplifies this very well you know we're a Southern Baptist church we don't talk about that a whole lot. I think, you know, denominations way secondary. But uh, the Southern Baptist Convention has a statement of faith called the Baptist Faith and Message. Now, we decided to simplify, and so we, we kind of wrote our own statement of faith because, uh, you know, something shorter, a little simpler. But there's a section in that, uh, in this statement that says, it's called the Christian and the Social Order. And it says this. It says, all Christians are under obligation to seek to make the will of Christ supreme in our own lives and in human society. 
means and methods used for the improvement of society and the establishment of righteousness among men can be truly and permanently helpful only when they are rooted in the regeneration of the individual by the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. Remember, it starts with being changed by Jesus. However, in the spirit of Christ, Christians should oppose racism, every form of greed, selfishness, and vice, and all forms of sexual immorality, including adultery, homosexuality, and pornography. We should work to provide for the orphaned, the needy, the abused, the aged, the helpless, and the sick. We should speak on behalf of the unborn and contend for the sanctity of all human life from conception to natural death. Every Christian should seek to bring industry, government, and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. In order to promote these ends, Christians should be ready to work with all men of goodwill in any good cause, always being careful to act in the spirit of love without compromising their loyalty to Christ and his truth. I think that's a tremendous guiding statement for the church and for Christians and how we interact with the world around us. So there's a cultural mandate. Second, there's the great commandment. And, uh, you know, we, I preached from this passage earlier in this series, so I would really just kind of refer you back uh, to that, but just remind you that what it is, is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. So we're called to make a difference, but how do we do that? We do that through love. You know, we're to, everyone's our neighbor. We're to love everybody. We're to do all the good that we can with all the opportunities that we can. We, we, you know, when God puts people in our lives, in our path, we're not to walk on the other side like the priest and the Levite did, but we're to go to them and sacrifice and help them like the good Samaritan did. But finally, there's the great commission. The great commission. Why are we here as the church? Why are we here as Christians? We're here because Jesus gave his authority to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. That's why we're here as the church. We're here to make disciples of the nations. So something that we've uh, you know, talked about this year is the idea of who's your one, who are you praying for? Who are you reaching out to? Who, who do you want to share? Who's God calling you to share the gospel with? I encourage you to be praying for people and you know, invite people on the 20th when Steve's here. He's going to share the gospel and, and see you know, people meet Jesus. You know, one, of, one of the things that concerns me and, and, and as we kind of talked about this as, as, as staff and elders, you know, I think all in all, our church has done well through all the craziness of this year. But I think my biggest concern is, as I feel like that kind of the longer this has gone on, that we've turned more inward. I think a lot of us are in survival mode. Uh, and, and, and I'll admit, you know, that includes me. But I was encouraged by a couple things this week, and I'd encourage you not to give up on people. Uh, there's a lady this week who used to come to True Life who has a Jehovah's Witness background. She's moved. Uh, I'd shared the gospel with her before, and she was hung up on you know, the Jehovah's Witness teaching that Jesus isn't God. But she told me this week that she'd been studying the Bible on her own, and she now believes and sees that Jesus is God, and that she's trusting him as her Savior. 
It, it may not happen in the time frame we want it to, but God's working. Uh, I was at lunch with Preston, one of our elders, on Friday, and, and, and Jeff Davis, who's you know the church planner, one of our church plants, New Creation in Morristown. Um, uh, you know, and God's just doing some great things there. But he, he texted me this: they've done their first couple of baptisms here recently. And their, their core group has been doing the who's your one thing. And this is the gist of what he texted me. Uh, a lady from their core group got baptized a few weeks ago, and they broadcasted it on Facebook Live. Well, um, her who's your one is, who bro- is her brother who lives in another state. He watched the baptism on Facebook Live, uh, and God's Spirit started working on him. He got in touch uh, with, with Jeff. He told Jeff, this is his words, that he cusses God, tries to fight with everyone in the family, and has a drug and an alcohol addiction. But on Friday, he committed his life to Jesus, and now he wants to get baptized. That's what it's about. So who has God put in our lives to share the gospel with? Where does he call us to make a difference? And so I'm gonna close with this. And these, there's, this list is in your notes, which is in the app. If you don't have the app, uh, there's some signs out in the lobby that has the QR code that you can go and, and start the process with that. And it's pretty easy from there uh, to, to get it. But, you know, as we've talked about justice and, uh, you know, the hurting, the oppressed, those that are wrong, making a difference. Here's some ministries in our area, and there's more that you might want to get involved with if you want to make a difference, uh, you know, d- depending on, you know, where you feel called. There's First Love on Main Street in, uh, in, in Morristown. They do medical dental, dental clinics. If, if you uh, are in a medical profession, you want to serve, uh, this would be an awesome way to do that. Walt Stinson, who goes to True Life, is the chairman of their board. You could talk to him, but they they use it to share the gospel. There's Knoxville Street Hope Ministries. If you have a passion or a concern for child victims of human trafficking, this could be somewhere you could get involved. Life Outreach or the Pregnancy Crisis Center in Morristown if you're burdened about the abortion issue. Appalachian Outreach, if you have a heart for people who are in poverty, they do a great job in helping people. New Creation, like I mentioned, they do homeless ministry on Sunday evening if you want to help with that. That, uh, or on Saturdays, if you have uh, construction skills, go help with their building renovation. And by doing that, you're advancing their ministry as they minister to the homeless and the hurting. It's not just about a building, but it's about the ministry they do. Samaritan House, uh, you know, helps with homeless. Kingswood uh, Home for Children. Uh, you know, it's a safe Christian home for children, you know, who are in need. Uh, Jefferson County Nursing Home. Um, you know, w- True Life, and, and we've worked with other churches to try to get uh, the nursing homes and um, the assisted living facilities, this area adopted where people can send in cards or videos and that kind of thing because they can't have visitors. And so I would say to people who are watching online, if you're staying home, this would be an awesome ministry for you to get a part of, a way, to be a part of a way you can serve, show people the love of Christ, and you don't have to leave. And so uh, get in touch with Leanne Phillips if you would like to help with that or just message us somehow at, at church. We'll get you in touch with, with, with Leanne. Boys and Girls Clubs of Jefferson County, they're doing some, providing some places where people who don't have Wi-Fi, kids that are doing at-home learning and they need some people to help with that. There's all kinds of ministries, but be the change. 
let's get involved. Let's not step back, shrink back, live in fear in this time, but step up and, and, and make a difference. If you are, uh, you know, in a health situation where you feel comfortable with being out and about, if you're around people now, you're needed more than ever to serve and make a difference in the world. There's a way, if you've been changed by Jesus, there's a way that God can use you. Listen, some of you, what you need to do with this is to be born again. Jesus would say to you what he said to Nicodemus. It's not about all these outward things. You need a new heart. I would encourage you just to come to him, to surrender to him, to admit that you're a sinner, that you, that you can't save yourself, and just to surrender before him, trust him, receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you've got questions about that, text us. Come talk to me. Let us know. If we say, yeah, I know Jesus, are we living like we're changed? Is there sin that we need to repent of? Are, are, are there ways that we're not being distinct enough from the world? Uh, Let's repent of sin. Let him change us. And then are we letting our light shine? Are we hiding it? Listen, let's stop talking. Let's stop complaining. Let's stop posting on social media about everything that's wrong. Let's go do something. Let's go make a difference. Let's go be the change. Let's pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would convict us, God, that you would stir our hearts. Lord, we've not been living like we've been changed. Pray that you give us the grace to repent. God, I pray that you would just compel us to not hide our lights, but God, give us boldness. Give us boldness in sharing the gospel. Give us boldness in living like we've been changed. Give us boldness in loving those around us. Give us boldness in serving and making a difference. God, if there are people here who don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would save them, that you would draw them to yourself. Jesus, we thank you for everything you've done for us. Help us to live like we've been changed. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks for being here. If you want to talk.